Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kisson. And this is a show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. We do have a fascinating guest for you today, but just to set the context, we're recording this the day after the local elections in the UK, where the Conservative Party, which has been in power for 11 years, has actually advanced and made more progress, particularly by capturing the working class vote. So we thought, who better to get back on the show than our regular, one of our favorite guests, he's the comedian Jeff Norcott. Hello. Welcome back, mate. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking when I was on this before, it feels like I've been saying the same thing about what's likely to happen for quite a while. I think there's a few people who have been saying this about the working class vote. It's not an unfamiliar narrative. And then, and then here we are. There was this iceberg that the Labour Party were warned about. And they just went, no, no, we just, we just keep fucking sailing <laughs> towards that iceberg. I, I think we could sort of chicane around that iceberg. I think the iceberg would be okay. And it's interesting, you know, like in terms of normally... I, I like good politics, right? I, I, you know, the idea of an opposition in... It's always sort of funny when Labour do badly. I, don't, I can't explain exactly why that is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I think we know. It's sort of funny. And yeah, I don't know, man. As this is happening, I, I find myself slightly melancholic for the state of the opposition, you know, mm, because yeah. it's, it's quite sad in a way. You know, I think when... I love cricket and when England play Australia, you want to beat Australia. But I mean, there was a period when we were battering them at home. That's not as much fun, and it's also not good for cricket. And I think there's, there's probably something true about that in politics as well. Well, the thing with you is you didn't always vote Tory, right? You only no. started voting Tory about 2010. Yeah. Uh, and you've written a book, which is called Where, Where I Went Right, which is about your journey. How through... the left lost me. Yeah, mm. yeah. Which, is, which they would call victim blaming. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, the timing, this kind of comes out on the Thursday, the 13th of May. I mean, and all anybody's talking about at the moment is about the migration of working class voters away from the Labour Party. Um, there were, interestingly, you know, with the way that the pandemic's gone, there were times last year, because we finished the manuscript, um, you know, I filed it in November, and I was like, Jesus, like, this is going to look ridiculous. Everyone's going to have deserted the Tories if, if the management of the pandemic is as shambolic as it's been so far. And then now, it, it probably goes the other way, you know, where, where if anything, I've, I might have slightly underestimated things. And you, <laughs> I mean... We are where we are. Why mm. do you think it is that the working classes, particularly up north, mm. have turned their back on Labour? Well, I suppose, you know, there's so many reasons, aren't there? <laughs> there's so many. We Just pick a hot take, Jeff's man. not excited about this at all. <laughs> yeah. This is very sad. No, I am like a kid in a can. <laughs> well, wait, I, you know, what I thought was about my own process of, of voting on this occasion, let's bring it right down to the ballot box. What happens when you go there? And people might not think that I do this, but I always ask myself last-minute questions about, OK, could I vote for the other lot? You know, when, even when it was leave, uh, when it was the Brexit referendum, my choice was between leave and abstain, right? And I always ask myself that question. I, you know, even in the 2019 general election, there was aspects of the Tory campaign which I wasn't fond of. And again, I asked myself that question on this occasion. I thought, okay, there have been things I haven't liked about the Tories uh, over the last year. So let's just go through the other options. I went, could I vote Labour? No, I can't vote Labour. It's just, it's just a million, <laughs> a million reasons. Why not, Jeff? Why can't you vote Labour? The offer. I think it's the overall offer, isn't it, of the left is not a good offer. What, what do you just, mean by the offer? Like, well, give us some concrete. The, it's not just the Labour Party as well. Where the, the image, the perception of the left, that's often what people are, are partially voting for in their mind. I, I put an X here, what do I get? It's not just about the Labour Party, you know, it's something beyond that. What am I endorsing? And there's, you know, there's a, a culture uh, within and without the Labour Party that is, is, is way left of the, of the country, you know, in terms of if you look at their activists and their membership base and where the country's at and what the country thinks are priorities who wants to tear down statues, who wants to get on with things right now. You look at even corporate culture. You know, a lot of these companies are trying to send out appealing messages. Uh, you know, I don't know who they always think that they're appealing to, but <laughs> they, they seem to think that young people are the only people that buy stuff and that young people won't get more right-wing as they get older. That's always quite an interesting uh, misguided supposition. There's just, there's, there's, there's so much. There's so much. There's a current leader, Keir Starmer. I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't think he's a bad politician. But he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't summon anything in me. You know, yeah. like, and people want to feel something from a leader. People want to feel sort of not inspired, but they want to feel moved. And and he, when he came into power, when he became leader, there was a lot of talk about forensic Keir, and that was touted in social media to be a good thing. And you know, it's a good thing when you're a QC mm. to be forensic. But if you're look, this is a very base analogy. But if you're on a stag do mm. and you got 
forensic Kier and rugby tackle Boris, <laughs> who you, and, and the night splits up a bit, or we'll go in different places. Yeah. Where are you going? <laughs> you know? And, and I think that people want to... People like Boris. People, I'd say this, the country like Boris a lot more than I do. I'm not, yeah. wouldn't close Well, I was going to say, like, yeah. you talk about make a leader making you feel something. Boris yeah. Johnson. I mean, look, I'm, I'm going on the, on the stag do, I'm going out of Boris. Yeah. Yeah. The following day, I'm like, oh, mate, I've got to get an earlier train. You know what I mean? I'm not necessarily wanting to hang out with a bloke, but yeah. he, he makes people feel something. And then you've got, what was what have the Labour, done, Labour Party done? We've had these existential crises in terms of Brexit and COVID. And it does seem that in both instances, their, their uh, strategy was, well, this was a tricky one for the Tories, they're in a bit of a mess, let's just, let's just see how this plays out. They've done that for both things. And this is, this, this is within, you know, within the space of two and a half years, we've seen them do this. They've prevaricated and they've essentially sort of hoped that there was a coach crash, right? <laughs> they've seen the coach veering off the motorway and they've gone, the most important thing for us to do is that there's no footage of us with our hand on the wheel. <laughs> That is that is cowardly in a way, and and yeah, the, the the MPs, the parliamentary Labour Party, to an extent, they just don't feel connected. They don't seem to see the world the, the, the same way that I do. And and another thing to just remember is that you know in the very recent past, the Tories have grappled with difficult things and got results. Right. So whether Brexit completely un, unfells and this deal was proved to have been shoddy. At this point, they, they, they did it. You know, they actually did deliver something. And in Western democracies, for a long time, no one's done anything radical, right? He actually, you know, they, and, and the left are probably their own worst enemies in that they've made it possible for Boris Johnson to look like fucking He-Man for doing things that weren't that impossible. You know, so we'll never get, he'll never get the withdrawal agreement open. He did that, right? Never get a trade deal within a year. He got that, right? Never be prime minister, never win an election. He'll never turn COVID round. And he's done all these things. And, and he ends up sort of by, by didn't get more credit, perhaps, than he deserves for, for these things. I mean, even as I'm talking now, I'm bouncing around things because there are, there are so many different reasons. I mean, the economic news that's come out in the last few days, that, that once again, the most dystopian prophecies of parts of the left about what's going to happen to this country have underestimated how dynamic and vibrant the economy is. Do you think that's it, Jeff? Like everything now, and it's not just the left, it's yeah. also people on the right. Like we catastrophize everything so yeah. much and maybe it's just so common now to be like, well, you know, Brexit will never happen or if yeah. it does, it will be the end of the... And, and that's because they're trying to stop it happening. Mm. And in... in, in well, the, they go over the top. Well, but that's my point, right? It's like they go so far because they think that if they say you're mm. going to get super gonorrhea and there'll be no sandwiches left, like that will stop Brexit. <laughs> that was the most two po most powerful arguments for me. That was the only time. <laughs> oh, wait, well, hang on, no sandwiches. Yeah, I got a flaky dick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I yeah, they they they, they slightly overegged. Well, and, a and lot, right? And, lot. and we're all kind of in that in that loop of like mm. the media exaggeration, the Twitter hyperbole. Yeah. But then there's a price to pay for that down the line when Absolutely. when the public go actually. Well, none of that has happened. So you've been bullshitting the whole time. Why mm. would we take you seriously now? No, absolutely. And, and large swathes of uh, the sort of centre-left media commentaria have, have sort of fired all their bullets. They've spurned their mm. credibility, one, in, in respect of how dystopian their predictions about Brexit were, and two, you know, some of the attacks on, on Boris, there are certain things that were absolutely legitimate, but there have been times within the last year where he does... He does something odd to intelligent people. He makes them a bit deranged. <laughs> like, they hate him. They hate him so much. They're like, we've just got to, if I could just get Boris out of power, something would be clean. Something would be okay with the world again. And, and I think the public see that sometimes, you know, whether it's a, a, an opening homily or a monologue on Newsnight or, or it's, it's a certain stories being fanned slightly beyond uh, their actual relevance to a lot of people. I mean, the most recent one is is curtain gate, you know? I think it was fair for Keir Starmer to ask those questions at PMQs, maybe not as many as he did, but I think it was, you know, he has to bring stuff that, like that up. And then like the following day, he's in John Lewis and he's looking at wallpaper. And like, an, and on social media, that gets a lot of credit. They're like, oh, well, oh sick burn, Keir. <laughs> you think, yeah, it just made him look fixated. Mm. Yeah. It made him look fixated on a triviality. And you know, at a time where there's, there's a pandemic, you know, we need to rebuild the economy. You've got what's happening in India. For, you get six questions at PMQs, and he did three on curtains. <laughs> but 
don't you think a large part of the problem is that people in London who are very middle class don't understand working class people? Yeah. They don't really talk to them. They don't really encounter them. They don't know what it's like to live in a town like Rotherham or all the rest mm. of it. So how can they how can they represent them? Well, I mean, we've seen uh, yet again, yet another election where in some quarters, and I'm not saying this is true, it's definitely not many people in the Labour Party and generally on the left are saying this, but there's certainly people on the centre-left that their standard reaction to losing yet another election is, why won't these gullible fuckwits vote for us? <laughs> I mean, these stupid people, once again... Self-harm, <laughs> they've been duped. I say, you know what? If they're that easily duped, why can't you dupe them? Mm. Right? A lot of mm. politics is about propaganda. It's yeah. about fluffing an idea. Every party, to varying degrees, is selling something beyond which something way beyond. I mean, this levelling up thing, right? It's fantastic. It makes me feel good. I'm not sure how much of it they'll be able to do, but that's the job of politics, to sell something hopeful and, and something positive. And so that's the Labour Party's job is to do the same thing, but they can't dupe anybody at the moment. And also, I mean, the NHS is, is a good point in a way. They're, some of the old certainties about politics have been shattered. But, you know, I know a lot of left-wing friends that have said to me, and this is a classic anecdote, isn't it? When I've got a point <laughs> I want to make, it's like, actually, I was, I was speaking on the doorstep uh, to someone convenient who I made up. But, um, but genuinely, a lot of left-wing friends have said to me that the, the furlough scheme really surprised them. You know, the way they'd been conditioned their whole lives... It certainly wasn't that the Tories would swoop in and pay people's wages. And, and the original furlough was probably more generous than it needed to be. And I think the fact that the country have accrued 150 billion quid's worth of savings suggests that they might have not got the balance quite right there. And then the NHS as well. You know, you can make a really legit argument about whether or not the NHS was funded enough going into this pandemic. But the truth is it's been prioritised within the context of it. And a lot of right-wing people would say that it's been too prioritised. Mm. It's been... Too protected. So these are the two old certainties, right, of British politics. The Tory party, they, they don't care about you. They won't spend money. They spent money, right? Well, the NHS, they want to destroy it. And for the last 15 years, every single election, it's the most obvious one in the playbook, is the NHS. It's minutes from, from death. Is, is this the end for the Cape Crusader? <laughs> it's almost like those old Batman, Adam West. Is it, is it the end? <laughs> of course it's fucking not. They've got another episode next week. <laughs> and the NHS, I mean, the NHS... It would be the, the, the quickest suicide note in political history mm -hmm. would be to, to end the principle of uh, healthcare that's free at the point of service. The Conservative Party have never, will never do that, okay? It, what they will have now is this, I think, amusing challenge in a way is they've got this new broad coalition of voters and I fully expect them to become a lot more northern. <laughs> a lot, they've done a bit of it, haven't they, with the old Rishi with the Yorkshire tea, but yeah. they are going to lean into this, you know? They're going to lean into this hard. And some of the things that they've done are just... People sell their performative gestures, right? Um, like moving Treasury offices to York. OK, it is a symbolic gesture. But Labour could have done that symbolic gesture. You know, they had a long time in power where they could have done it. It's just good politics, right? So I... And also York is posh. York is the one place they go to, isn't yeah. it? They get a nice train journey up there on the yeah. East Coast Main Line, have a little yeah. bit of lunch up there. Arrive half cut. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, they're not doing it in Wakefield. Let's put it, <laughs> let's put it that way. But, but like, this is this is common sense to, to spread the power base uh, uh, around the country. And and I'm not I'm not saying it. This is weird because I probably was as uncertain about voting Conservative in this last election yeah. as I have been for a while. And yet, it's really not hard to work out why why they've done well. Let's okay. talk about your journey, actually. Uh, oh, oh, just, I just get... wanted to make this one question. All right, yeah. so. They're in the ship, right, Labour. We all know that, OK? Please don't show this diet coat. We've got sponsors, Jeff. Come on. It's OK. <laughs> I made it at home. It's my own. It's <laughs> your home brew. My own recipe. Yeah. yeah. Right. Why do you think you're so happy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> it's fueled with something. Right. But so we've got the Labour Party. How do they turn it around then? How do they capture the ordinary bloke on the street... They can't. Look at his face. They can't. I, honestly, I don't okay. think that they can. And I know. Look at his face. <laughs> I just, I don't. I, so I feel a bit bad for them in a way because this isn't just about things that the Labour Party have done, by the way. Yeah. This has been other factors that are partially beyond their control. I mean, they were egged on to a position of second referendum by a London centric media. Mm. No, no, no. This is how everyone mm. feels. You know, Lynn at Hot Yoga. We, we all think that there should be. A second referendum. They were egged on, weren't they, by Keir Starmer? No, no, no. We've got a, we've got an e-petition. 
Uh, well, you know, a lot of the Gmail addresses sound fucking similar, but we've got this six million person petition to revoke the referendum. So they they were egged on in that. And let's just just quickly briefly stop on that before I go back to your question. Within the last year and a half, the Labour Party, right, the the party of the working classes voted or moved to a position, a farcical position, whereby they did not respect the democratic outcome. Now, I know at that point, there were a lot of issues with getting Brexit delivered, but their job, like when, when you vote, that is the only time you have true equality in this country, right? Whether you're Jacob Rees-Mogg or whether you're Brian Cox, weird reference point, <laughs> but you know what I mean, like yeah. they probably are at the other ends of the yeah, culture war. Yeah. They're supposed to protect that. And they didn't protect that. And that, if you think about how long it took the Lib Dems to get past tuition fees, this is way fucking um, beyond that. And then another factor, Francis, is you've got like this migration of people out of those towns. Like a lot of people, youngsters, are going to metropolitan centres like Newcastle or Manchester or London or Bristol, but it kind of leaves these towns vacant of people that might vote Labour. And I said uh, on my podcast at the beginning of this year, I said one of my boldest predictions was that the Labour Party might formally split. And you always think, well, they look into the abyss and then they they reunite. But it feels more fundamental this time, and I don't honestly know how the two wings of the Labour Party uh, can reconcile. It's something we've been talking about on this show quite a lot. And I just want to, for people maybe watching for the first time or not familiar with our views, like, Francis and I are not happy about what's happening. Mm. We, you know, him and I both used to vote Labour frequently. Uh, Lib Dem as well in my case. Sorry, I, I apologise. But like... I've been there, look, we all have, you know. <laughs> right. We all did crazy stuff at university. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's a healthy position at all where you've got a party that's in power for 11 years and it's doing better and better and the opposition is worse and worse. Mm. Uh, and I think your point about the media in particular is very true where... And doing the show has actually shown me that to a large extent. There's a whole body of people, particularly mm. outside the big cities and particularly outside of London, who just don't, they don't feel represented by anything they see on their screens no. that's, that's mainstream. And the Labour Party is pandering to that as opposed to actually trying to connect with people. But for anyone who's not familiar with you, I want to talk a little bit about your background because you talk about it in the book. Mm. Where when you talk about growing up, uh, tell everybody a little bit about your backstory, your background, like what was your childhood like? and Because that informs a lot of your views, I think. And that's well, what it, I always found interesting about you. Well, it did. I mean, like, inherently, I should be Labour. You know, a lot of people think the South East. But as you all know, there's, there's a strong working class tradition and, and Labour, Labour trade union movement uh, in the South East as well, despite perceptions. My dad was a trade union man. You know, my mum, both my parents were disabled, li- lived on uh, in council estates and council properties. So I was kind of had a lot of the the sort of tick list, eventually, you know, went into comedy. But, you know, that in a way is the point of the book. Where did I go right, right? Like uh, everyone always says, well, how does someone like you end up voting for the so-called baddies? But then it goes, you know, it turns out now, you're asking that question of a lot of people, right? That is now no longer um, an uncommon thing. And I think the truth is, is that I voted Labour in 97, 2001 and stuff. Initially, it was just a ubiquitous yeah, you know, we all did then, Britpop, I was in London, I thought everybody voted Labour, <laughs> I just thought it's what you, I just thought this is what you do, right? Um, but if I look deeper into my childhood, I can actually see that there were at least small C conservative things, you know. I got a bit of stick for this because of an article in the Mail on Sunday, but I do, I can remember one of my first memories, not one of my first memories, but an early memory of just people on wearing dressing gowns after, like all day long, you know, <laughs> on this day, I fucking can't handle I might get dressed, you know. That's quite that's quite a judgy little conservative mm. reaction, isn't it? Like, for God's sake, get dressed. <laughs> what are you doing? I've just got this theory that, you know, you shouldn't wear a dressing gown after 9am unless you're ill or Hugh Hefner. Those are the only <laughs> two contexts, right? Yeah. And and I remember getting free school meals and, and not, not liking that and, and hating that and just wondering, you know, I was told that, well, the state pay for it. And I was like, who the state? Mm. What if they decide they don't want to pay for it? I can remember, like, the anxiety of being... Not poor, this gets overstated, you know, people want me to sort of hype this up. We weren't, but we had periods where it was really close to the breadline. But overall, in the context of where we lived, we did okay. But I remember those moments because we'd started off doing all right, mm. my family. We were, you know, we had a private property in a decent street in Wimbledon, but then the family got, uh, my mum and dad got divorced and then we moved to a council estate. So I, that's quite an interesting status drop at the age of mm. nine. So it might have heightened my sensitivity to it. And we used to get, like, clothing grants and stuff like that. And I was always dressed like a fucking tramp. And <laughs> I, I remember once I remember once I had these, these trousers that were so tight. I went to school in Wandsworth. And as you'll remember, Francis, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
cussing people. Oh, yeah. Just like an Olympic sport. You know, best mates being as mean to you as possible. And I had these skin-tight <laughs> trousers before they were fashionable. <laughs> And one of the lads said to me, he went, my God, Jeffrey, he goes, I can see your pulse. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a put down I still use to this day. So I guess there was a material thing in me quite early was I just wanted more. And a lot of people in this country just want that, right? Just I want to do all right. I want to do all right for myself. This is the most human thing imaginable, right? Is to want to do okay for yourself and improve the situation in your family and beyond that, improve society as a whole. For a lot of people, those are the sort of stages of priority that you go through. And yet there are uh, there have been times, certain, and this is not just from the Labour Party, but the left, that, that, that kind of aspiration has seemed like, a, in some ways, a, d- a dirty thing. And, and, and I read an article in the Times this morning uh, by Janice Turner, I think, was saying that just a lot of people don't have the same sad, drab lives that the Labour Party think they have. Mm. You know, in Hartlepool, yes, salaries are a lot lower, but so are houses. So it's a lot of things. A lot of people in Hartlepool are having the things materially in life that a lot of us are looking for. And and this period, particularly under Corbyn, whereby everyone was painted to be a victim, there's a lot of working-class people don't want to be thought of as having shit lives, right? <laughs> there are definitely... There's people in society that are really struggling. And, and I think that, you know, you should definitely focus more resources on those people. Outside of that, if you've got a gaff, car, a couple of holidays a year, a couple of nights out a month... It's a good life. <laughs> but it's the thing as well, it's like, I, I think people massively misunderstand, I, just from my experience, and I, I, I mm. talking in Russia, there's working class people in Russia as well, like yeah. in many different places, people don't want free stuff, really. Most people don't. Most people yeah, don't yeah. want mm. free stuff. They don't want free internet access. They, they want a job and they mm. want to work and they want to do well. You know, they're not looking to get loads of handouts. Now, if you say to That's them... That's where they went wrong in Russia in the end. <laughs> I would say that would definitely be the worst country to have communism then. Yeah. Uh, we don't actually want free stuff. Terrible <laughs> accent. Well, where, where was that? It was I anywhere in Eastern Europe? Serbia. Then? Yeah, I think you were in Serbia, mate. Probably the most racist country in Europe, Jeff. Come on. It was, near, it, was, it was the really liberal bit of Serbia. You know what pisses the me off? The bohemian bit of Belgrade. People, people say that my Russian accent is worse than many other comedians, we even though I'm it, actually Russian. Yeah. yeah, we all try it. And then we all also say, well, where was I? Croatia. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where it is. No, but you know what I mean? Like, I th- yeah, if you ask people, are you in favour of free internet? A lot of people will say, yeah, but the, in general, they're not in favour of the state yeah. providing mm-hmm. a ton of free stuff for people because they 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 have to work for a living and it's kind yeah. of like ingrained in people. Well, that you know? loss of responsibility for your own stuff, mm. right? You might get a free ticket to go and see a great band mm. at the O2 or whatever and you will enjoy that night. But I'll tell you something, the, the ticket that you paid for when that you sat and the day it was coming out, 9am they go on sale and you sat, I was going to say on the phone making myself, <laughs> but they were really going, okay, boomer, right? Yeah. I was sat there, I was looking on seed facts until <laughs> right, the U2 tickets come up. But the, you did yourself, you're going to enjoy more. It's got yeah. a sweeter feeling to it. And I do worry that over the years, and this is under successive governments, and also a lot under the Conservatives, who've got a lot of these patrician uh, elements themselves, it's just bit by bit taking stuff out of people's control. And mm. I just worry that if you remove those things from the human character, you stop evolving in a way. It's a really important thing, taking responsibility for your own shit. It's an empowering narrative. Because the good thing about it is that you have capacity to change it yourself. Mm. If you sort of abdicate responsibility, you're powerless. I have to believe that I can make stuff better for myself. Sometimes to a deluded fault, <laughs> you know. But all the time you spend thinking other people have, have kind of taken away opportunities from you. It's time that you could be spent um, pursuing them yourself. Obviously, there's uh, certain elements of social justice that need to be pursued. But in terms of getting shit done in your own life, that's mainly what you'd have to focus on. And the thing that I was very, very surprised by, and Mm. I I didn't predict in the slightest, was this new authoritarianism creeping into the left, particularly Mm. when it comes to COVID. Oh, we've got a lot. I think it was Zara Sultana. So we've got to lock down everything until, you know, there's not one COVID case left. Are you nuts? I mean, there are certain incantations uh, on the left that really worried me. And I think that no one's safe till everyone's safe. 
First <laughs> up, no, if you can imagine someone doing that, as they say, it's probably yeah. bollocks. Yeah. No one's safe till everyone... That's not, just not, fucking not true. It's <laughs> yeah. not true of anything. No one's drunk till everyone's drunk. That's not true. Yeah. Okay? No one's safe till everyone's safe. Sounds like the kind of thing that Jason Staven would say <laughs> just before he hops out of a fucking Chinook. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no one's safe till everyone's safe. What's that, Jason? That's not even logically possible. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and I think the problem with those kind of incantations is the purpose of them is not for other people. Mm. It's because it makes you feel good as you say it. And if you're saying or doing something because it makes you feel good rather than because it makes a change for the people that need it, that's selfishness. Mm. That's the opposite of what the left purport to be. And, you know, the Blair Project and New Labour was about the left kind of reining in certain instincts because they knew that the only way that you could really make a change for people was to have the levers of power, whereby there are some elements of the modern left, for them, principled opposition mm. seems to be a, a more important thing than, than actually being in power, which I'd argue, weirdly, is narcissistic. Francis, do you like biscuits? <laughs> Stupid question. If you like biscuits as much as him, you have to try Zingy Berry Bakery. They're a small family-run bakery that make award-winning sweet cookies and savory crackers. Francis will explain how many awards they've won, won't you, Francis? Their sumptuous cookies are made with whole grain oats and real butter, while their savory crackers are made with whole grain oats and are both wheat and dairy free. And they've got a brilliant offer. All you have to do is enter our code, which is of course triggered on your first order. And you'll not only get 10% off, they'll give you free delivery as well. That's 10% off and free delivery on your first order with our code, which is triggered. Go to zingaberrybakery.co.uk. The link is in the description. It's zingaberrybakery.co.uk and get your biscuits today. I think I've eaten too many biscuits. Never heard him say that before. Wow. The point that we always have to ask ourselves is where do we go from here? Mm. Because the reality is things are, it seems desperate. Don't, don't are you all right, mate? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm gonna look. The thing is, he's sad people. for democracy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm genuinely sad. Well, I mean, we've got we've got one party states in three different parts of Britain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. It's not great. No. no, it's not. It's not great. SME Labour got uh, uh, Wales. Wales. Yeah. yeah, great. The big one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, uh, the one place that can actually win you a majority in Parliament, which is England, is is, is run by the Tories. It, it, it isn't fantastic, but is it maybe a, a a degree to which we've all retreated into identities. Yeah. People who are Tory are now more Tory, aren't they? You know, I've, I, I do worry about this as well. So it's something that the left, certain people on the left, on the online hard left have done is every time there's a vote and every time you get called selfish or stupid, they sort of radicalise Tories. People that voted Tory for the first time, I think, oh yeah, just on this occasion, I'll lend Boris my vote. Or, or, or maybe I'll vote Cameron this time because I think that, you know, after the credit crunch, Labour had spent a lot. Maybe, oh, I'm a fucking ignorant... Selfish twat. Right? <laughs> it's like, you know, like certain things the, the US did in the Middle East, radicalised mm. radical Islamists. I think you've got people that are way more Tory now than they would have otherwise been. And of course it goes the other ways. And, you know, I have noticed on the online right, there's an element of kind of intellectual certainty that's creeping in. And those people on the left are never going to come over if they've been called certain names yeah. as well. But I just think that if you look across a 10-year period, that was a phenomenon that seemed, certainly seemed to start on the left. And you go, great, that person is probably going to vote Tory for the next three elections. It is weird. Do you know, like, my old man, he was in the Labour Party. I am, there's, I am sort of sad about what's happening. And that might sound mealy-mouthed, but I wanted to be like, yeah, you know, the old thing. But I, I don't know, something happened for me after that 2019 general election. I'm not as tribal as, as I was. I start, you know, this culture war thing, it's a bit ridiculous sometimes and it pulls you into points of view that you wouldn't have otherwise had. You go, I don't know why I'm this angry about <laughs> Meghan Markle. I, don't, I actually don't care that much. You know, so there are certain issues whereby you go, no. So I'm trying to, to just stop and think, well, what do I think exactly? And, and I think we've had this chat before, Constantine. Actually, the more precise about what you think, mm. the more that you piss people off, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, so I did a Radio 4 special recently and there was a section in the middle of it, of it about Black Lives Matter. And of course, you know, I critiqued some of the hypocrisies about how people responded to the mass gatherings and also about uh, certain political motives on the groups. Uh, but also, after a couple of weeks of Black Lives Matter, it did make me stop and reflect about the experience of, you know, black people in this country. And the message that I had in that bit was probably one that would be seen as quite liberal and left-wing. And of course, I had, like, twats coming for me 
on Facebook, you know, direct messages. I always get the cowards on direct messages. And then, oh, you sold out to the libs and stuff. Again, the idea that, like, the consequence of a culture war would just own every single opinion I have is ridiculous. Yeah. But the danger is, is when you step out of line, then, you know, you could the way that the left have devoured their own, I do wonder if that's something that's going to start happening. Well, more it is more happening. Right. It is happening. And it's not even left or right. It's anything. Like, nowadays... The moment we interview someone whose views don't align precisely with like John seventy three twenty one, yeah, he's outraged. And John seventy three is never, never watching yeah, yeah. trigonometry again. And it's like, well, well, then they, John seventy three twenty one, that doesn't have um, any conviction in his views, right? The, the truth is, and when I have people on the podcast that disagree with me, the reason I'm able to nod along and listen is because I, I, I have conviction in what I think. I'm not, mm. I'm not challenged. If there's something that makes me challenge what I think I'm glad about that oh I'd never thought about it that way but I'm not like fundamentally triggered I mean that you remember that gif of that girl you know the triggered girl yeah, yeah, yeah. you always yeah. see her that and I always think about it she could probably tour off that <laughs> the triggered girl I wonder whether because that, that 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 gif is quite old now isn't yeah. it yeah she's probably Trump. yeah it's yeah, from, from Trump. the first Trump she's yeah. probably she might even be a Republican now <laughs> you know, the triggered girl but yeah, that was always like a trope of the left and it does concern me that these guys, the last thing these kind of like hard right guys or people that are really enmeshed in the culture war would think is that they're anything like that girl. Mm. And yet when you get upset by who's wearing poppies and mm. who's not wearing poppies, I'd argue you're exactly like that girl, mm. yeah. you know? And I would love it if everybody wanted to respect the sacrifice that were made in world wars for this country. I'd love it if everyone just felt like that. But if they don't, maybe that's partly what we were fighting for, mm. was their right to fucking not do that. Yeah, completely. Now, we've been in lockdown. We've seen the culture war ramp up. What effect do you think that's going to have on comedy? Um, well, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because I think last time I was on, we were like, hey, man, let's just all chill out. Let's, <laughs> let's, 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 let's do some balloon modelling. And, and actually, I think the, the, the capacity for people to just stay at home and, and kind of lose themselves in online opinions did exacerbate it. And I think that there was a period of, you know, certainly with the, the start of the statue toppling and certain, everything seemed to be, everything was more radical. Every protest became uh, more militant. And, you know, the last summer, in particular last summer, um, you know, there were shows getting removed mm. from, from the BBC. And it, it did seem, I think that that period, again, if, if you want to analyse all the things that have caused this uh, this vote swing towards conservatives in England. That's all part of it. Of course it is. Because people mm. go, that's what the left is, you know? They want to stop things. They, was, they used to be the fun guys. I remember in the 90s, the left was the free speech thing. And you know, another thing I, was, I found funny recently is, is you'll, you'll probably both have had this, is people online, they don't understand how they sound to a broad audience of people. So often they'll say, yeah, he's one of these free speech guys. You go... <laughs> That sounds all right. <laughs> yeah, he's one of these free speech warriors. Well, sounds like a good warrior. Yeah. yeah. Why would being a free speech warrior? How the fuck have we got to the point where left-wing people think that identifying people as being a free speech warrior is a bad thing? But that is one of the processes and consequences of descending and burrowing as hard as you can into an echo chamber. And the first chat we had about echo chambers, echo chambers was after the 2015 election. And it does feel like of late, everyone was like, no, I need to get outside of my echo chamber. But of late, it feels like people go, no, I think I need to fucking like, reinforce <laughs> mm. with concrete balustrades and a steel roof because they've sort of experimented with it. They've realized that they can't persuade people. So they've, they've kind of hunkered down. And also we haven't been able to see people face to face. Like we might not yeah. agree on everything, but we can have a chat and the human element yeah, is there yeah. and we're sort of understanding we're both human beings. But online, none of that, none of that exists and none of that happens. You're just an avatar to me and I, my job yeah, is to Twitter's destroy you with facts yeah. and logic. But that's what I find so often when, when people, I've had falling out to people on Twitter, then we meet in person, they go, is everything cool between us? I was like, we fell out on Twitter. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's, to me, that's like playing your mate at PlayStation yeah. and lobbing the joypad yeah. and just fucking going for a walk around the block because you're angry. That's the level I see it as. But a lot of people have made that confusion between that and real life. And even on my lad's WhatsApp group, where there was a couple of political discussions over the last few days about Brexit. And I thought, you know what? Let's just stop talking about it because... I know that if we had this chat over a pint, this would be fine. Mm. This would be absolutely be nothing like um, the chat that we have now. But I, think, I wonder if people become addicted to the adrenaline that a good old tear-up gets. Yeah. People like, feel alive, don't they? You know, when you know what you oppose, you know what you believe in, people feel... A lot of, a lot of these, it's mainly middle-aged blokes, let's be honest. <laughs> it is always middle-aged blokes. They watch Question Time, they drink some Merlot and they're... <laughs> 
And, and I, I think, I don't feel like that. I'm not, I don't think, and maybe I communicate badly, I don't feel like a combative person, but the problem is, is when, you know, when you tweet something, I'm often, they'll think I'm, <laughs> I tweet it like, this is a bit funny, isn't it? <laughs> and and, and they, they'll think I'm in a finger jabbing, <laughs> fuck you, lefties way. But that, that's not my style. And, and maybe that's why I'm, I'm really excited to get back out touring in September, yeah. is then. Well, that was smooth, yeah. wasn't it? Was it oh, good? That, oh, so oh, smooth. Keep he's it touring. A... Yeah. <laughs> keep selling, keep selling. But, but just because then if someone wants to pull what you're saying out of context, yeah. They'll have to literally invent a mood that wasn't in the room. Yeah. Mm. You know, when you're in it, what the brilliant thing about stand up is it's a very uh, permissive environment, and you say things and people can see you're being a bit cheeky, you know, they can see your body language. Then you go, all right, if you want to come out of that room and then pretend that I meant something else, then fine. But at least you knew in the moment uh, what I was driving at. Mm. That's what, you know, talking about comedy, Francis was asking, but that's, you know, I opened for you a few times, and that's why I was found about your approach to comedy even you were even much less even than me, like you are really trying to see things from the other person's point of view. Mm. So I would be the controversial person opening for you <laughs> and then you'd come in and yeah, tone yeah. it down. Well, that tour, in a way, was probably more conciliatory than the one that I'm taking out. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm You've just completely contradicted. My, no, I just... Fucking I think, transgenders coming over here. <laughs> well, I've just got more... I think I've got more... I, I know what I think more now. Yeah. And I've wanted to talk about culture war stuff for a while, but I haven't had the jokes or I haven't had the way of saying it. But just recently, there have been a few things that have occurred to me that, that I go, yeah, that's what I think. It's like I'm genuinely not angered by anybody having a different sexual identity or fitting in somewhere on this kind of like rainbow spectrum. I mean, it'd be a bold mood if you were, Jeff, just coming out. You know the gays, right? Yeah, I've got the right problem with that. <laughs> but on the other, you know, when you talk about like sexuality and gender and having so many different versions, it just suddenly occurred to me that masculinity and femininity were already a spectrum, mm. right? We already knew, you already had members of your family that you knew that the simple notions of masculinity and femininity didn't exactly apply to them, you know what I mean? So your Uncle John that collected the porcelain dolls or whatever, mm. <laughs> you go, you knew John, like, that, it was different for him. And you know, yeah. you know that fucking Kim Kardashian and Sue Perkins aren't the same, right? Mm. So that already existed. People are smart enough to already know. So if people want to have 100 words, that's fine. It doesn't anger me. But I also think that it's perhaps uh, a bit, there's a bit of presentism about thinking that previous generations weren't aware of those differences hmm. anyway. And that's my point is, I suppose the point of the, the new tour in a way is going to be, I'm not angry about this, but I do think some of it's a bit fucking weird. But why? Yeah, <laughs> and it is true, it's a bit fucking weird. Like, so, it is. I'm glad I mean, the way he doubled down yeah, on it as yeah. well. Yeah, like, Jeff was like, it's a bit fucking weird. France was like, it's a bit fucking weird. Yeah, well, I mean, right right now, there's the kind of quote. Somebody, so if somebody was against you in yeah. that moment, this is how the internet will work. They would think that what I was saying is it's a bit fucking weird about other sexualities. If yeah. they already think you're a bad person, mm. that is what they would take for that. When I was talking about the kind of totality of yeah. culture war stuff and the changing of liberal languages and uh, definitions, yeah. that's that's a really good example of how that could work. Why is it? Why is it fucking? Why are people who are not exactly like you fucking weird, <laughs> Jeff Norcott? Yeah. Yeah. And vice versa, there'll be John, whoever. Yeah. Going, I can't believe there's only two genders. Well, maybe there is, but Jeff is just talking. Yeah. He's just having a chat, you know, yes. like he's got some jokes about it. Why don't you go and listen to Yeah, them I'm not. I mean, the truth is, I'm not angry about anything. And, and my counsellor would tell you that's one of the biggest <laughs> problems. One of his, I'm freakishly not angry. I would actually probably be helpful for me if I could get on and have it out with John 7231. Yeah. Hey, KK, are you a fan of cultural appropriation? Of course. I can't go down to the local supermarket unless I'm dressed like a Mexican bandit or as I like to think about it, your cousin. In that case, you're going to love Beer Rebel Noodles. They make award-winning delicious ramen noodles with an Irish twist. What, bankruptcy and alcoholism? No, all their noodles are homemade using high-quality ingredients. In fact, respected food critic Jay Rayner called them deserving of poetry. What a cuck man up, Jay. Their sauces, noodles and broths are created using skills that were developed over years of working in Michelin-starred kitchens. They're dead easy to make, the noodles take one minute to cook, and the whole dish takes only 10 minutes to put together in the comfort of your own home. I'm hungry just explaining this to you. You're always hungry, mate. I mean, that's a fair point. Go to beerebel.com. That's B-I-A-R-E-B-E-L.com and get a tasty flavour of the East in your dinner time. 
Where do you think the landscape is going to change when it comes to comedy on TV? Mm. Because the mash has been cancelled. There's a real thirst for centrist political comedy, mm. comedy that attacks both the left and the right. Do you think that there's going to be a company, a TV company who's bold enough to make that? Or do you think we're going to be playing the same furrow as before? Well, I mean, as I always say, I think comedy's all, already changed. It's a question of whether TV catches up. Mm. So we know that. You boys have been successful in doing this and other things. Andrew Doyle's had a best-selling book, Simon Evans tours, Leo's done great thing, Dominic Frisbee's had a hit song, you know, and if I'm leaving anybody out, it, it's just, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of evidence that it's already changed. So the only question is, does TV catch mm. up? Interestingly, this last set of election results, I think the Liberal left have been guilty of thinking, well, we'll just, normal order will be resumed soon. Brexit mm. was just mm. a thing. Okay, Brexit, oh, the 2019 general, but they'll all come back to Labour eventually. Normal order will be resumed. I think that these local elections have underlined perhaps that there is a more ongoing change. And I don't know if TV companies can forever ignore the, this huge percentage of people. And it's not about, I don't want to be in a right-wing comedy show. Mm. I don't think anyone in Britain is going, you know what we need? <laughs> we, well, there are a few people, they're mainly online, but he's going, we need, a view, we need it all the other way. Mm. That would be a massive mistake, to go from a left-wing bias to a right-wing bias. But what they do want, I think, or, or find it odd that there doesn't exist, is diversity of opinion. So say, for example, you're on a topical panel show and the issue of Meghan Markle comes up. And say she said something massively... A wildly pretentious. It is obviously fucking ridiculous to a lot of people. But you may have people on that panel that feel because of the culture war, they're uneasy about mm. criticising Meghan Markle, mm. a woman of colour who already gets a lot of unfair scrutiny from the press. So what you end up with is a panel of people that don't say anything bad about Meghan Markle. You go, well, that's not really where Britain's at. You know, my, my own view with, with Meghan and Harry is, is, again, it's not about anger. It's just that I liked them at the beginning. <laughs> and bit by bit, they started to piss me off. Mm. Yeah. And they, they sort of reminded me of, um, you know, like a couple you meet on holiday and you befriend them for like a day. You go, oh, aren't Megan and Harry like mm -hmm. a, such a great couple? And then three days later, you're like, Jesus, I cannot take these two. You know, that's mm. as simple as exactly. it was to me, right? Yeah. It's not a controversial thing to say, but even that opinion you wouldn't really hear um, within a topical panel show. So I, you know, I have discussions with, with people. There are plenty of people in TV that get this. And, and again, this will be something that a lot of defund the BBC type people won't want to hear, but there's a lot of people in very high up in the BBC that get this, but it's a huge machine. So there's the BBC on one hand, you know, there's various seniorities of commissioners, mm. then there's production companies, you know? And in fairness to production companies, when they get into TV, there's a kind of TV show that they want to make. And, you know, the platforming, as they might see it, right-wing views maybe wasn't why they got into television, but the truth is, if terrestrial television doesn't accommodate these views, you know, topical comedy on terrestrial television is going to continue to diminish. And the worst thing is, is a very like if you're pro BBC, right? It's one of the easiest sticks to beat the BBC with, mm. isn't it? it? Most topical output w would reflect a certain bias. However, one show, and then people just think I'm ass kissing it, but I think one show has proved how well it can work is the news quiz. Um, Andy Zaltzman's now the, the, the uh, resident host, absolutely brilliant. But it seems in their lineups, most weeks, they're having somebody from the other side of the fence. And I think it helps everybody because it has certain views represented. And it also, for the in, crucially, for the left-wing comics, it stops them from feeling like part of the establishment. Do you know what I mean? So somebody brilliant like Alan Cochran goes on and he makes a joke that, that might make a lot of sense outside of metropolitan areas. But then the left-wing comic can then come back on that. And it, it, it's just more natural. It's so blindingly obvious that this is what needs to happen. But as you as you guys know, the last time this argument happened, there were people, insiders at the BBC, that somehow claimed that, um, well, it just doesn't make as much sense in London, and that's where we record most of our stuff. <laughs> but, what, but they also said right-wingers aren't funny. There was someone Oh, there's no that. one out there. Well, let me tell you, I give, I've been given people a list of people that I know, and I've said, if you ever want to have a chat with me, mm. after that came out, I said, look, these are all the funny people that you could call mm. upon, if you so wished. And the idea... That, that somebody like me couldn't have a good gig in London. London, and people wouldn't believe this, but it's the easiest place for me to sell tickets by a factor of a billion. <laughs> well, people wouldn't believe that because that's untrue. It's not by a billion. But even when you sort of factor in population differences, that is, you know, that's yeah, the place where, where, where we do best. And even if, even if you just break down the demographics of London, I mean, look at the current London mayoral vote. Even the amount of Londoners that voted leave was still several million people. Yeah. So I think... There is a resistance in certain quarters, but I think in the long run, they're not really doing the BBC 
any favours actually, because it's one topical comedy is one of the easiest sticks to beat the BBC with, and and you don't need like a whole panel of people like me. You just need out. Say there's five people on the show or seven, one person per show has that view. Yeah, I don't think that's too much. And to the ask. thing is, the thing is, if they don't do it, the internet will kill them. It's, and the it's just as simple as that. The internet's already doing it. You know, yeah. like we, you know, my podcast and you guys with this. The reason that these things have done all right is because it's low-hanging fruit. And it's amazing. Thanks, mate. Yeah. I, I do. The reason this is not is uh, you're a bit shit, but no one else is doing it. No, but you do it well, and there's, there's, a, there's an audience. I know exactly. There's an audience joking. for it. You know, Absolutely. and I think certain figures have said, oh, the reason right wing comedy, and I don't think this is about right wing comedy, by the way. I think it's comedy that reflects another point of view, yeah. perhaps a small C conservative view in exactly. society. It hasn't done well because there's not a market for it. And you go, well, we go, there is. And also, you can't say that when the audience for legacy topical shows and television. It's just a steady managed decline, right? So there's just literally no evidence to stop change in comedy on television. So let me ask you just one yeah, sure. quick thing on that. Uh, how do you feel about MASH being cancelled? Well, MASH, yeah, I mean, look, I enjoyed it while I did it. And I think that, in fairness to the show, it gets a lot of stick from the left. It was and remains the only show to give somebody anywhere right of centre a, a regular platform. That's true. You know, no one has even come close to that. I, you know, a lot of people think I've been on certain shows and I, I haven't. <laughs> I'm happy for them to think that I have. MASH gave a regular, you know, and, and obviously the tone and stuff of that show, I had to fit in with the show um, to a point, but I was still able to say things. I was still able to make jokes about J.K. Rowling, Gary Lineker, you know, <laughs> jokes about second referendum, mm. jokes about Jeremy Corbyn. I think what it was was when it went left-wing, it went very left-wing, but it also had, uh, it had jokes from the desk that were about Corbyn, and stuff. So it did have quite a lot of uh, balance in it. And I look back on the bits that I did with Nish and I think that I didn't realise that at the time, but that was something quite unique. You know, there were two people of very different opinions trying to sort of <laughs> get along. It was, you know, it was a challenging thing to do in terms of getting a piece that kind of worked together. The audience, the audience were good to me, by the way. You know, they were very, um, they were very left-leaning and remaining, but they were fair with me. And one of my best memories of that show was it was at the time just before, I think it was late 2019, right? Labour didn't really have a Brexit position. And, it, and they'd come up with this position, which was that they were going to uh, get a new deal, <laughs> uh, take it to Brussels, and then have a referendum on it where they campaigned against it. And I was trying so hard to write a joke on it. And then I just said that in the room, and then the audience pissed themselves laughing. And I thought, that's a left-wing Romanian audience, mainly. And, and it just underlined that there was a spirit of fair play in the room. So, so yeah, it's it, it, of course a show that you're in regularly. Uh, it's a, it's a shame. But then I think if that show's not going to exist, there needs to either be in existing shows, there needs to be more of people like us, uh, or there needs to be something new that picks up that slack. Do you think it was a political decision? <laughs> I might give you a now political answer. Um, I, I think that when a show doesn't get renewed, it wasn't actually cancelled. Actually, it's yeah. a slight difference. Um, that it is more than just one thing, you know. It is more than just one thing. And Jeff, don't you think, like, you see the fact that these producers look at declining engagement, declining viewership, don't really do anything to change it? Is it mirrored by left-wing politicians seeing declining votes, and again, doing seemingly doing nothing to change it? I do think that. <laughs> do you know what I've learned this thing when you're doing interviews you put it so well yeah. I went to go all I'd have done was say what you said with different words yeah yeah I agree basically yeah, yeah. and again that is a problem but I don't think they're going to change if I'm being honest because to me to, to me they see it as a moral issue mm. they see conservatives right of centre as being immoral but who's they though when you say they I, I think the people who are on the left, the people who are staunch Labour, right? You, we see them, and again, look, it's all anecdotal. You look at the social media, whatever else, they see the people on the right as being immoral. So there are there are a, a, a constituency of people that see it that way. But and you're gonna you love this. But even with the book that I've got coming out, yeah. um, <laughs> but the editor of that book, the guy that commissioned yeah. me to make that book, the guy that's invested in that book, yeah. 
is is very left wing. You yeah. know, there are people that do see that this is not helpful to the left, and maybe I guess what I'm saying, Francis, maybe that's where it'll come from. They realise, you know, I've got this cycle. I'm such a simple person, yeah. right? But Norcott's cycle is the right wing elections, left double down on culture. That's yeah. it, right? It keeps going like that. So they think. Fuck you. Okay, you won that last election. I'll tell you what, <laughs> our TV show is going to be even more left wing. And then working class people go, well, I'm a bit worried about all this. I think this doesn't seem to represent my experience. I think I'll vote Tory again. They go, oh, vote Tory again, did you? Well, check out our new TV show <laughs> and this cycle. And then check out our adverts, right? And check out our stances. And it's this ridiculous kind of merry go round when yeah. what it really needs is people on the left to actually go, this, it's just good old-fashioned conservative pragmatism. Yeah. This isn't helping us. We've now had 11 years of this. We haven't really won any major elections apart from Khan in the last mayor election, probably again this time but by a smaller margin. Maybe we should do it differently. And by, I think the fear maybe was that if we allow it a voice, it will get bigger. Well, it's got bigger without having a voice. Mm. There's, yeah. a little, there's a little soundbite. Did you see the way I did like <laughs> that? Then? Yeah. Well, it's got bigger without... <laughs> fucking flipped it round, didn't I? <laughs> and what... What do you think is going to be the future of the beep, Jeff? Do you reckon it's going to survive? Uh, yeah, I do. I want it to survive. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons why. Right now, thumbs down <laughs> yeah. on the video. But we we're both on record saying we think the BBC should survive, provided it yeah. can evolve with the times. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I think, but there's lots of reasons I've heard recently that I think. I mean, one is like a BBC music on air, like. Commercial radio stations, their playlists are a fraction of what the BBC is, right? So if you, one thing I love, one thing I'm really patriotic about in this country is our music culture. It's incredible. Yeah. We absolutely smashed the, but per capita, the amount of great songs we've produced in this mm. country should be a source of pride for fucking everybody. And part of the reason for that is that you can get a lot more different music on when you've got a state broadcaster than when you've just got a commercial broadcaster. Mm. And I think, you know, the investment... Uh, in comedy and sometimes you know with the, the, the funeral of Prince Philip and the early days of Covid there is a capacity uh, to bring people together mm. and I think that there are like I say there are people at the BBC in very senior positions that do get this and it's now becoming a fundamental point is that diversity has to include diversity of viewpoint it can't the whole the idea that the output in media TV shows and stuff and news should reflect broadly what Britain is is a good idea you know what I mean? It's a fucking logical idea, right? Everyone should have a place at that table. But it loses credibility if it doesn't include viewpoint, right? That's where a lot of people tap out. They go, well, that's not fair. You're prioritising all other kinds of diversity apart from people you disagree with. So people do get it. The, the point is, is the culture. I mean, it's such a huge employer of how much time the people that are currently at the top have. And, and I mean, it's like oil tanker turning it around. Keep, it's the same message again and again. We're not changing this. This is this is the new course, and you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to get on board. And and again, it's like this will benefit the left. If people love the BBC, then actually a bit more uh, diversity of viewpoint, and also you know, programming from people from working class backgrounds. That's going to help you because it's going to help the uh, BBC to exist longer. Jeff, listen, man, it's always great to chat. It's good to see you again. Good Last time guys. we recorded an interview, yeah. it was literally the day before the pandemic, like, properly kicked off. Oh, there's off. a new one coming. <laughs> there's, it's sort of, it seems to have hit the Labour Party first this time. Uh, but there's I don't, there's not really a new pandemic coming. You both looked at me like, no, like, no. like <laughs> what's he talking like, about? What the fuck has he heard? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Didn't check the news this morning. Apparently, there's a new pandemic, guys. That, it, no, everything, everything's gonna everything's gonna be fine. I, I'm the good, you know. What's all part of my politics? Just optimism. I have a general feeling that things are gonna be all right. We're gonna do okay. This is a great country, you know. <laughs> and that's what allows someone like a fucking occasional charlatan like Boris Johnson to do all right because that's all he does. Yeah. Level up. Great. Jobs, 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 jabs, 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 you know? You know, I don't often say this, but to to the Russian mind, mm. Boris Johnson being the leader of this country is inexplicable. It is. It is inexplicable. <laughs> it is weird. Have you got this guy? Is <laughs> People love him. That fucking inflatable <laughs> Boris Johnson. Yeah. In Hollywood. Do you know what I mean? I don't think I've ever, you know, the most conservative I ever was, I still didn't have a thing in the window. Yeah. You know what I mean? That person's gone, you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> You know what, Jeff? In the interest of balance, and yes. this is what balance looks like, we spend 50 minutes bashing the left. It's right? always good for We're going to yeah, do yeah. two minutes at the end about the Tories. Our, our yeah. mutual friend, who you've already referred to, Dominic Frisby, tweeted about this election that's just happened, saying yeah. uh, the problem with this is it's going to make the Tories think they're doing a good job. Yes. I mean, that was a brilliant, that was a brilliant point, because they, they, they haven't on a lot of issues, and one of the biggest issues with the Conservatives is communications have been mm. dreadful 
often dreadful. Flip-flopping, coming out with really strong stances. Gavin Williamson, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take schools to court. <laughs> oh no, actually, we're having a lockdown anyway. Fucking just stand back a bit, mate. Just fall back until you've actually got um, a policy. They're also quite patrician and, and nanny state-ish. And the other thing is, Boris, because in a way his own vanity needs him to have younger, more impressionable politicians around him. They did away with a lot of really experienced politicians. Javid, case in point. Javid, Penny Morden, Amber Rudd, really good, skilled people. Nicky Morgan, people like Nicky Morgan have gone. So there's a generation of politicians below them that just have been learning on the job at a really difficult time. I think one thing is they have done the hours now. It'd probably be good to keep them around because they've done hours and hours mm. of, of media media time. But look, someone like, for a conservative, somebody like Matt Hancock, who suddenly fucking decided he was the nation's stepdad, <laughs> has been very difficult to stomach. You know, I think when the new variant came along, everything changed to a point. But before that, Matt Hancock sort of go, well, we, I'm going to try and let you have Christmas. And he go, who fucking gave this guy a <laughs> Could somebody? I mean, I'm not advocating bullying, but please just flush his head down the toilet briefly. Because yeah. <laughs> there were points last year... I would love to be there. <laughs> <laughs> but you know with Matt Hancock, he'd be the guy that after the third time that happened, he'd learn to love the taste of toilet water. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he would power himself like a, a sort of supervillain. And I know that... We've the, got Tory MPs that watch this show, mate. <laughs> and mate, I... I, look, I'm not owned by anyone, you know, like, and there have been plenty of times. One thing that has been odd to me is, like, people have presumed, like, oh, well, oh, you just got on to, to kiss the Tories' asses. No, I like critiquing politics generally. Yeah. I have a bias, definitely, you know, I have a bias. But over the course of the last year, if anyone has listened to, listened to my podcast or seen me on, on shows, I've, I've had a plenty to say uh, uh, about the Tories. And I do think that, that some of the cronyism is something that, you know, I think they're quite happy now that it seems to have died down and the interest has died off. But once you get out of the context of a pandemic, saying it felt right at the time <laughs> is one of those arguments in history. There's a lot of stuff that felt right at the time, Matt. But what I don't want to see is you and everyone you know riding around on fucking jet skis because you <laughs> you got rich mm. off a pandemic. I understand they did they made certain decisions which needed to be made quickly. But that context will fade away over time. And, and maybe that's one glimmer of hope for the left is we might have a stream of, look at this guy who bought a place in, in the Vir British Virgin Islands. You, know, you might see people that got very wealthy off a pandemic and that, that might be one of few routes back for the Labour Party. Well, Jeff, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on. If people want to find you online, where is the best place to do that? Twitter, Jeff Norcott. And uh, yeah, as I say, you'll, you'll find me. I'll be flogging the shit out of the book, which mm -hmm. comes out May 13th. And then the tour, I Blame the Parents, is uh, in September. Check both of those out. And we're going to ask Jeff a couple of questions for our local. But before we do that, Jeff, mm. our last question for the main interview itself is always the same. What is the one thing we're still not talking about that we really should be? Annoyingly, when you said that, I, I've mentioned them already um, in the interview, but I do think this this desertion of the kind of people that would naturally vote Labour to city centres, I think that that will be where some of the Labour debate goes next. There's not many people talking about that um, right now. And then the other thing is is something that I've, I've just said just now, which is about Tory cronyism. Mm. I do think that, you know, the major government in 92, you know, got elected with a reasonable little majority, but over time, Slee's nipped at their heels. I think it is a mistake to think, it's very easy. I mean, I've just said the Labour Party's going to split. But after the 97 election result, Tories finished forever. They'll never come back for this. Policy, we're, we're all so stuck in the present now. Mm. I, I would be, hate, you know, I'd be cautious about thinking that this is now 10 years of Boris Johnson. I mean, just, I look, hope not. just look at Boris Johnson and think, could he go 10 years without doing something <laughs> that sees him launched uh, from, from office? So I think that maybe the thing that, we'll be talking about soon it is perhaps, there's a lot of hype at the moment about the Tories are embedded for a decade. I personally think that one way or another, whether it's through different coalitions of parties, I don't think it's quite as nailed on as that. I think he's going to carry on doing just fine with even younger and younger girlfriends and younger and younger kids, mate. And, and, and the public will just celebrate. Yeah, exactly. He's had his 15th kid. Well done, Boris. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, there is that weird thing in, in a lot of other democracies when... There are scandals that are supposed to hurt the politicians. Yeah. Like, do you remember, who was the one? Jean uh, Hollande, the, yeah. the mm. uh, president of France. 
Like when he had that affair, apparently yeah. one of the main things that lost him points in the polls was the tacky way that he arrived for it. He arrived on the back of a moped mm. <laughs> to his mistress's place. A lot of French people go, that's outrageous. You're going, yeah, cheating on his wife. They go, no, no, he's on a moped, man. <laughs> Turn up in a fucking limo, mate. Yeah, do it with a bit of class. It's France. They have class, mate, when it comes <laughs> yeah. to these things. Anyway, Jeff, thanks for coming back. Where I Went Right is the book and the tour is uh, Don't Blame the Parents. I blame the parents. Yeah. Not dumbly, it's, sorry. It's, where, it's where did I go right and... Uh... We're going to cut that bit out, mate. <laughs> no, leave it in. Leave it in. Where did I... Where did Constantine go wrong yeah. in saying where did I go right? Uh, I don't blame the parents. Um, it's, it's, mate, I, it's early no, in the morning. Maybe if you're a lefty, it's yeah. called... Maybe I need two titles. Yeah. It's called I don't blame the parents. Oh, yeah. that sounds nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, make sure you follow Jeff. He's one of our favorite guests ever, one of our favorite comedians. Jeff, thanks for coming back. We're going to do a couple of quick questions uh, for locals. But in the meantime, thank you for watching. We will see you very soon with another brilliant interview like this one or Raw Show. All of them go out at 7 p.m. UK time. Take care and see you soon, guys. Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.